Greetings to each one in Jesus' name. This Lord's Day morning, Resurrection morning. Enjoyed the emphasis so far. Um, Praise the Lord. I guess I I can't can't uh, uh, glory in the, the blessing of the morning without making mention that I was informed just uh, during children's class that there were some church bombings in Sri Lanka this morning and uh, they're saying there's at least 207 dead. So that's a bit sobering as we again recognize that we live in a hostile world and uh, some things God allows to happen that are not very pleasant. And yet, he is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Perhaps we could take a moment and stand together and and pray. Father, we we do rejoice this resurrection morning. We we rejoice in the salvation that the Lord Jesus made available to mankind. That he went to the cross and shed his blood for the sins of humanity. That whosoever would come and believe would... uh, could have life and could have it more abundantly. Thank you. Thank you that uh, we, can, we can open the scriptures and, and uh, reflect on these things and be encouraged in our hearts and, and allow our hearts to rejoice in, in uh, your goodness to us, Father. This morning we, we think of, of those in Sri Lanka who are suffering the effects of of uh, dramatic uh, experiences, the bombings, the the deaths, loved ones dying, the the survivors and the trauma that they're going to face and are facing. Thank you, Father, that you have promised to not leave nor forsake, and we pray that you wouldn't leave or forsake them in their hour of great trial. Father, you know all of them. You know them by name. You know uh, that we just ask that in your great mercy you would visit them and uh, comfort, comfort the many suffering and sorrowing. Father, again, we recognize that it is a hostile world. We know that uh, it will be that way. We pray that our hearts would be prepared and willing to suffer for Jesus' sake. Father, uh, deliver us from the concept and idea that uh, the Christian life is a happy, joy-filled, a glorious life with no trials and no struggles. Lord, deliver us from that concept. Help us to have the uh, concept of suffering and being willing to suffer and that uh, take up our cross and follow you. So God, again this morning, we are here. We want to again reflect on your goodness, on the resurrection. Bless our time this hour. Bless each one present. May something be shared here that is beneficial to each one of us. May your spirit take uh, little bits of truth and tuck them in our hearts and uh, strengthen us and continue to enable us in the journey. Thank you, Lord. We 
We bless you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. <clears throat> All right. So this morning, um, to introduce the uh, topic, and I will be I will be uh, focusing on the death and resurrection of our Lord. Uh, we'll begin in John chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, to introduce the uh, subject today. <clears throat> Gospel of John chapter 3, Jesus is in a dialogue with Nicodemus here, and uh, In verse 14, Jesus says these words, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I was uh, thinking about this, uh, this scripture here that, uh, that Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. <clears throat> That's uh, that's referring to Moses, obviously, in the Old Testament. And I, I wondered this morning, uh, I realized sometimes we take it for granted that some of those fairly familiar accounts, everybody knows about them and has a, a good understanding of them. And I thought, well, maybe I could find out if uh, if we do actually have a good understanding. So how many of you, let's say, between children between the age of 8 and 12, when this scripture says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, how many of you between ages 8 and 12 are familiar with that account in the Old Testament where Moses lifted up the serpent? Let's see a hand, good and high. Yes, we got one back there. We got two over here, another one there. All right. Anyone care to tell us a little bit what happened? <laughs> I'm not going to put you on the spot because I don't want to trick you or force you into something. But uh, we're going to, we're actually, we'll go back and, uh, and look at that just a bit. Um, the account is given in Numbers, Numbers 21, so why don't we go there. And I've titled the message today, Look and Live. Um, and it kind of comes out of this this uh, account of Moses lifting up the serpent. <clears throat> it's interesting how fast the scene changes. In in twenty one here, Numbers twenty one. Uh, the text I was looking at uh, begins in verse 4, but in verse uh, the first three verses, it says there in verse 2, in Israel, well, now let's read verse 1. And when the king, and when king Arad of the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them in their cities and called the place uh, Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And I suppose they're not any, we're not any different. Uh, they, uh, they had a, a very reasonable victory. I mean, they cried out to God and God worked on their behalf and they, they, uh, won and they, uh, 
destroyed their enemy and they were on their way. But then they had some difficult going. Uh, the road wasn't well paved like we have it today many times. Um, and they they were much discouraged, as it says here. And the people spake against, verse 5 here, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathe this light bread. Uh, so they, uh, well, let's read on. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. So they, uh, the going was tough, and they complained. They complained against Moses. They complained against God, and uh, and even complained about the provision God was making for them. And so, God sends these serpents, and these serpents bite the people, and many people died. <clears throat> and then we pick up again in verse seven. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, "We have sinned." For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that when that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Um, so, we, we get the picture here. Uh, God had them make a serpent of brass and he took it and put it on a pole. I don't know how high, how high up they put it on the pole. But uh, if someone was bitten with a snake bite and they, they were sure to die because of that snake bite, but if they looked and looked on that serpent on the pole, they were healed. Now, I, it doesn't give us any more detail of how the people responded to it, but do you suppose that, uh, that everyone just was uh, full of faith and, and confidence and, and as soon as... They were bit. They just quickly get me to that spot where I can see the serpent on the pole. Or do you think some actually doubt it? We don't know those things. We can just kind of let our mind wander a bit. Um, you know, we would th- tend to think we would tend to think that everyone would have immediately, upon being bitten, um, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm imagining a camp of people and, a, and, and spread out pretty far, and I'm imagining that you couldn't uh, necessarily see the serpent from every uh, every spot in the camp, and some some of them probably had to travel a little bit to get within sight of where the thing was, and uh, make a little effort to get to it. And uh, you know, we would think that anyone who was bitten would have, and maybe they did. We don't know that. Maybe every last one of them, as soon as they were bitten, hey, get me to the serpent. I need to see the serpent. But this uh, this situation is it's 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 a type, just like Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent. Uh, even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up? Um, it's a type of Christ. It's a type of you know the serpent bite is a type of. Of uh, sin and the uh, the serpent being lifted up in the pole is a type of Christ and and so we'd like to examine that a bit today. Uh, you know we would we would think you know we could translate it into our day and our time uh, or even in all the ages and generations since Christ and we would think that everyone would run to Christ, wouldn't we? Everyone would. Uh, uh, flee for refuge from sin, but reality is few do. Uh, so, all right. So we have uh, we have this uh, encounter or this situation, which is a type of uh, of Christ, and uh, we 
today are on this side of the resurrection. The resurrection is behind us, the death and resurrection, the lifting up of Christ, and uh, we have the full story. So, let's, uh, let's talk about it a little bit. The, uh, uh, first of all, the reality that, uh, of the, the, the serpent, the snake bite, the, uh, this, the sin, the death that has passed in all men. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5.12, Scripture records this, says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that's where, uh, that's, that verse tells us of the reality of, uh, of the snake bite. We've all been bitten uh we've all been bitten by sin we've all uh we've all had uh, we all have the effects of the of the bite and uh death passed upon all men uh sometimes hard to to know how to actually describe that because uh um, you know on one hand uh we're not uh accountable for Adam's sin. On another hand, there's something that happened there when our parents sinned that has affected us. And there's no denying it and no getting away from it. Uh, It's a reality. And uh, one that we have to reckon with. We have the, as you know, the the snake bite um, when that venom the, the snake bites and that venom begins to enter the bloodstream. It's only a matter of time until it poisons and kills the person. And that's the picture of sin. Uh, we've all been bitten and the, uh, uh, that venom of sin, it, it's there. It's in our, it's in our being. It's in us and it's only a matter of time if we keep if we don't find a solution, it'll take us to death. It'll, uh, we'll die. Romans, and just back a, a, a few verses in chapter 3, we get a picture of what it looks like, you know, this, uh, this matter of sin and its, uh, its effects on, on humanity. Um, in uh, Romans 3, verse 10 to 18, we get a very graphic description. It says, and, and, I, and it, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Um, th- just noting here, that verse says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And verse 12 over here had said that, uh, so death passed upon all men. You know, there's no exceptions. There's no... Uh, 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 the all is the all. It, it includes us all. There is none righteous. There is none uh, that is exempt from uh, the uh, the bite of sin. <clears throat> so back to Romans 3 verse 10. And there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know... We know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God, which is without, righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even 
the righteousness which is of faith, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, upon all, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <clears throat> so that sums it up. And if we were to, uh, if we were to sum all of that up in one word, uh, perhaps uh, different ones of us would use a different word to sum it up, but I would sum it up with the one word, selfishness. <laughs> the bite of sin, you know, the snake bite, the serpent bite, the bite of sin, it can basically be summed up in one word, selfishness. Uh, it's humanity, uh, human beings, we want what we want, we want it when we want it, we want it in the way we want it, and that's all that matters. Selfishness. That's, that's the hu- human beings left, uh, uh, as, uh, you know, the bite of sin has its effect on human beings, and that, in one word, that's what it is. Just selfishness. Self-centered, self-focused, uh, whatever benefits me and however it benefits me at the cost of anyone else and everyone else. And you know, it, it, uh, it, uh, that selfishness, it doesn't take long until it actually shows up in those tiny little ones that you hold on your lap. It's just, it's there. That, it's that selfishness, only thinking about themselves. And it's actually a lifetime journey of dealing with that selfishness, isn't it? You know, there's that whole thing of where parents work with their children to, 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 to uh, bring correction to that selfishness. And then there comes a point in life where we... Uh, become developed far enough in our understanding to understand that sinfulness in us and understand the, go- the gospel message of Jesus Christ and how he shed his blood for our sins and all those things. And there's, uh, uh, there's a, a, an opportunity, I'll say it that way, there's an opportunity to come to God and and find deliverance from that selfishness and that selfish heart and be given a new heart and uh, a new spirit and to, to continue the journey of life with a new uh, purpose and a new uh, uh, focus and a new, uh, uh, I'm going to say, uh, spirit uh, motivating us. But, Reality is that that selfishness is not totally eradicated, is it? It's not totally gone once and for all. We find ourselves still having to reckon with it as we go through life, even though we are in Christ. And there's been a, a, a powerful change in our lives, and praise God for that powerful change. And yet, reality is, it isn't eradicated. We're, as we continue down the journey of life, God continues to work with us. And, uh, you know, at least that's my experience. <laughs> Uh, and God continues to work with us, and God continues, you know, and life brings various uh, circumstances and experiences, and, and we evaluate our responses and discover, you know what, that, that particular response was not Christ-like. It was a selfish response. It was a, a uh, uh, personal gain response, or, you know, whatever, you know. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, a, a, it's a lifetime journey, really, even though, thank God... Uh, there is that uh, point of new birth where it majorly changes that whole uh, conflict. And uh, but I, 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 it'd be a blessing if we could say it just simply changes it for life, and it's a done deal, and it's and you can you're good to go, and you are good to go. But reality is, we still have to. Uh, it's still an ongoing. Uh, uh, grace uh, of God working in our lives to, to, to work more a Christ-likeness in our experience. So, death passed upon all men. That death is summed up in one word, selfishness and self-focus, uh, self-centeredness. You know, God wasn't satisfied to leave us there in that state of death and leave us without hope and without a solution and without an answer. And uh, as uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In fact, I'm going to turn back to that in John 3. 
just like uh, the people were healed when they looked on the serpent on the pole, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here we are, a whole, you know, a whole, uh, the race of humanity, and uh, we've bitten, been bitten by the serpent of sin, and the Son of Man is lifted up so that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever will look to him, does not need to perish, but can have everlasting life. Praise God for the provision. <clears throat> There's uh, another scripture, uh, John 12, that uh, refers to that, him being lifted up. <clears throat> John twelve thirty one and just breaking into context here, um, the people had heard a voice or God had spoken actually from, from heaven and, and uh, answered Christ's prayer with a voice out of heaven. There in verse twenty eight, Jesus says, Father, glorify thy name. And, and then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people therefore that stood by and heard it thought, said that it thundered. And others said an angel spake to him. And Jesus said, un, answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And there he's again referring to his death on the cross. I, if I be lifted up from the earth, if I be put up on a pole, just like that serpent in the wilderness was put up on a pole, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. <clears throat> Verse 33, this he said, signifying what death he should die. <clears throat> And so I think uh, Jesus being lifted up, I thought, and Warren actually went there a bit himself, feeling like there was something uh, missing a little bit or a gap wasn't filled in the lessons from last Sunday to this Sunday. And I I thought to give a fairly, uh, try to hit different points on the way as well. In, uh, and, and I'd like to take just a little bit of time and look at John 19. Uh, which is uh, John's rendition of of uh, some of the events that surrounded his crucifixion. Uh, John 19, it really it's the account that describes, yeah, the events that surrounded him being lifted up from the earth, being lifted up and and uh, on the cross. So the. Uh, we have we have Pilate here as a uh, a very major player in the scene. He was delivered in ver- in chapter eighteen already. They led in verse twenty eight. It says they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the hall lest they should be defiled, but that they might but that they might eat, eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. And Pilate then says to them, Take take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. <clears throat> so the Jews on their own uh, were not permitted to actually ju- condemn a man and put him to death. They had to have their Roman uh, authorities who were over them to assist them in the project. And so they had to convince Pilate that this guy needed to die. Uh, and that's... that's uh, that's uh, they actually they actually worked hard to get it done. Pilate tried tried to deliver him out of their hands, but 
he was limited even though he, uh, yeah, like Jesus said in verse 11 of chapter 19, thou couldst have no power at all against me except to be given thee from above. Uh, anyhow, Pilate did try. He says uh, uh, the uh, quite a number of verses here. Uh, he came out in verse 38, Pilate uh He went out in the, in verse 38 there in the middle of the verse and he went out again to the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all, but ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And apparently there was a custom that if there was a person that they would at, the, at this time would uh, someone that was in in prison for some crime uh, they had a custom that they would release one. I uh, don't exactly know they understand the background of that custom, but he attempted to use that opportunity to, re- to, to free Christ. Um, but they wouldn't have it. Verse 40, Then cried they again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. <clears throat> then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. The pilots, uh, the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and the elders and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself to the Son of God. Because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate, therefore, heard that saying, he was more afraid. Is interesting. Pilate seems to have a little bit more of a fear about God and a, and a sovereign being and and a uh, uh, being accountable. You know, he's he, he's he's trembling a bit. He's got something on his hands that he's not sure. He, you know, he more so than the Jews did at this point, at least, uh, who they should have been the God-fearing nation people. Uh, he's uh, anyhow he uh, oh let's see where are we at here where was I um, yeah in verse 8 there when Pilate therefore heard that saying he was more afraid and he went again into the judgment hall and say, said, uh, saith unto Jesus whence art thou but Jesus gave him no answer then saith Pilate unto him speakest thou not unto me knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and, or, and pa- have power to release thee and Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it, be, it were given thee from above. And in a sense, they were both correct. You know, in a typical situation, Pilate would have had power to, to say, this man goes free and this man does not. That was actually his spot. But he wasn't dealing with a typical situation. He was dealing with the Son of God. And there was... There was uh, there was a plan here that was bigger than him, bigger than their nation, bigger than, uh, than, uh, uh, yeah. It says, and then from, in verse 12, and from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he, sa- and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be cru- to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. 
And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Galgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. Now it tells us here, and we don't have all the account, all the um, details in this account. Uh, it says here he bearing his cross, and he likely started out bearing his cross. But I understand that he was too weak to bear his cross, and they actually got uh, uh, that other gentleman to to carry it for him. Um, one of uh, there's a church there right beside our business, and the pastor there, on Friday morning, he came over and hunted me, hunted me down and uh, wanted me to help him for a few minutes. And so I went over, and here he had his pickup backed up to the church door, and he had two. I'm not sure why he had two. I, I failed to ask him. I, should have, I thought he might have had three, but he had two big, heavy wooden crosses, and he wanted to some help to carry these into the church. Uh, I thought, uh, I'm not sure if he was finished with his project, uh, if he needed those for today yet or not, but I I knew he wanted them for Friday evening service. I thought I should have asked him if I could borrow them for Sunday. (laughs) But uh, he had found some timbers from uh, a building that was taken down. I don't know if Neil here. If Neil took it down or if someone else was taking it down, but uh, he got some of these heavy timbers, about six by sixes, and he made a couple of crosses for an object lesson for his people. But they were heavy, and uh, he needed help to, to get them in there. And I am supposing that the, that the, uh, the crosses that, uh, that Jesus were, was crucified on was probably even bigger uh, I'm imagining it probably had a longer pole, at least. I'm not sure these might have stood about this high. Uh, but I'm imagining for them to uh, crucify someone, put them on a cross, and then set the thing up and, and still have them. I imagine those were probably pretty heavy pieces. Uh, I don't know how one man actually would have carried them. But obviously, they probably, as a part of their punishment, uh, they probably nearly... You know, it probably nearly warm, uh, yeah, exerted all all possible energy left to to get that cross drug up to the hill where they were going to be crucified. Anyhow, um, so here we have Jesus uh, lifted up, as he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Here we have Jesus. Uh, lifted up from the earth. He was crucified, two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the midst. And verse 19, Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the uh, chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, "Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews." And Pilate answered, "What I have written, I have written." Uh, you know, Pilate. Pilate, uh, in his whole thing, he had to protect his position a bit and did some things like that. But I'll give him some credit too. He he uh, he was willing to say it the way it was, and willing to leave it that way. You know, this is what I wrote, this is what I believe, and that's what it's going to be. You know, <clears throat> he was your king. Of course, then we have the uh, soldiers. Verse 23, the soldiers, uh, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, made, made four parts. They divided out his garments to every soldier apart, and also his coat. And his coat was woven without seam, topped uh, throughout, and they cast lots for that. Whose it might be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture 
did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. And we have, we have uh, a little discourse there with Jesus and his mother uh, and the disciple standing by whom he loved. And we get down to verse 28, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now therefore, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, put it on upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And it says there he gave up the ghost, which basically gave up his, the spirit. The ghost is another word for the spirit. And, you know, I guess I'm going to suggest that, and I, 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 I think it's fairly commonly understood that Jesus didn't just hang there until his body just totally spun out and quit. Jesus said it is finished and he gave up his spirit and it was done. Normally they'd have hung there considerably longer and that's why there was, uh, I believe it was in our Sunday school lesson, it, you know, Pilate marveled, is he already dead? Yeah, he's already dead. Uh, he didn't, he didn't, his, his body didn't linger until its last stitch of energy and strength finally spun out, you know, wind, wound down to the end. He, it, you know, there's this event of process and there's this discussion with his mother and there's uh, things happening and then he says it's finished. And he gave up his spirit and his spirit just, it's gone. It's done. <clears throat> he was lifted up from the earth that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'd like to talk a little bit about the shedding of the blood uh, as a part of this discussion. It tells us here in, in chapter 9 uh, or in this same chapter in verse uh, 32 to 37 says, Then came the soldiers uh, and break the legs of the first thief. They, they wanted to speed up the dying process because it was getting nigh to the Sabbath and they didn't want them hanging there on the Sabbath. And the uh, soldiers came and break the legs of the first and the other which were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water and he that saw it bear record and his record is true and he knoweth that he saith true that he saith true that ye may believe for this these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled a bone of him shall not be broken and again another scripture saith they shall look on him whom they have pierced so we have you know um i think it's it's uh what's the word i'm looking for it's it's notable it's it's of of uh of uh significance that they pierced his side and out came blood and water and i know that he had most likely shed a lot of blood already uh with the beating and everything that he had received but it's significant that as he's hanging on that cross and he gives his life, and then they pierce his side, and out comes blood and water. And, you know, we talk about uh, the, the Scripture speaks much of the blood of Christ, and, and uh, we'll look at a few verses. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, we have uh, Hebrews, of course, makes the comparison between the, the old a system of offering animals and the new of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19, <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's hard to know where to break in these scriptures because 
the whole chapter speaks of the subject, but let's break in at verse 18 uh, for, or verse 19 for now. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Uh, and that's the Old Testament. That was the Old Covenant. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. And so there we have the uh, example of Moses uh, purifying uh, the old uh, or establishing the old covenant and purifying the things in the tabernacle and, the, and all and the uh, instruments of worship and all those kind of things that they had there. And then verse 23, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be pur- purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So, the things that Moses was purifying with the blood of animals were only uh, patterns. They were only things that, they were visible, natural things there that they had in, in instruments of worship that were reflecting something greater in the heavens. And, uh, and, and, as, and this scripture is drawing that out, that, that the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these... For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So, Israel worshipped and they had a holy place. They had a place where the the, uh, mercy seat was uh, and uh, there was the great veil that was rent at the crucifixion and all those kind of things where that was uh, suddenly opened. Uh, They had all those things. But those things were only a type of a heavenly. And uh, the, uh, the blood of, of the animals that Moses sacrificed was used to, to uh, purify those things that were a type. But Jesus himself uh, is, pure, is not taking his blood to purify those things that are here on earth. But he went into the heavens. Uh, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Uh, In verse 25, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entereth into the holy place once uh, every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, one time, in the end of the world, the end of the age, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So we have uh, we have Christ who uh, appeared into heaven itself, and put his uh, you know Moses put uh, uh, the the priest would go into the holy of holies once a year with blood for the sins of the people. Christ went into the heavens itself with his own blood shed for the remission of sins. Uh, and only needed to do it one time, and it's it's there and it's done, and it's it, it will take care of uh, sin of whosoever will may come and drink freely. <clears throat> Peter says it this way in in First Peter one. Verse 18 to 21, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. <clears throat> so we've been redeemed not by silver or gold or any other uh, tangible 
thing, but we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was raised up from the earth. He threw a spear into his side and out came blood and water. Colossians 1 verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Praise God. And Colossians 1.20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, whether I, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We have peace through the blood of his cross, uh, and by him are reconciled back to God, back into a right relationship with God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, having shed his blood for our sins, for the remission of our sins. <clears throat> All right, I'd like to focus just a little bit on the resurrection. And that's, uh, that's what uh, Easter morning is all about, right? Resurrection. Back to John, Gospel of John, chapter 20. Um, and we, we looked at some of this already in our Sunday school class. I'll try not to take too much time and uh, repeat uh, things from there. Uh, John 20, the account here, verse 1 through 18, gives us a, a discourse of it. Uh, Verse, chapter 20, verse 1, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And uh, she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and the other disciples. So then she comes and tells them, and they come also then. And, uh, gives a fairly good description of the empty tomb. Says they... They ran both together. This is Peter and uh, Peter and John, I believe. Both went forth, and the other's disciple, and they came to the sepulcher, and they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, looked in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in the place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. <clears throat> you know, we marvel at that sometimes, that they had such a hard time grasping it. But isn't it, doesn't it say, is it in Corinthians where it talks about uh, these things are spiritually discerned? It is the Spirit of God that actually gives understanding. And somehow it seems while they had, they had, they were told these things, it seems like in their, in their comprehension they couldn't quite, they could, they, they weren't given the understanding. And I don't, I don't understand that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, we have them when they were walking with uh, uh, those two that were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus came and walked with them. And so they're walking along and all this is happening and after a while their eyes are opened and suddenly they realize this is Jesus and he's gone. You know, uh, it's like God, uh, uh, somehow our eyes have to be opened to it and these things are spiritually discerned and that's where the Spirit of God comes in in our lives, uh, to understand, gives us understanding. In fact, that's the intent of the Spirit, to give us understanding of these things, like Jesus said he would. <clears throat> so they, uh, but the, it does tell us that he saw and believed, which that's speaking of John. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and that's when she saw two angels sit in white sitting. And uh, 
one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, say unto them, I, have, I ascend unto my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. <clears throat> and we, of course, have more uh, discourse there. Um, you know, when we think about resurrection, we think about uh, it's resur- resurrection speaks of new life. Uh, and that's what it means to us. Uh, new life, new opportunity, uh, new beginnings. Just like uh, uh, Jesus said that uh, in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. New life. New opportunity. uh, A new lease on life, you might say. Whoever believes in him. You know, uh, uh, we've, uh, we've been bitten by... Sin. We've, uh, we've, uh, the, uh, uh, the effects of it is, is in, is found in us. But there's a new opportunity. There's an opportunity for new life. The Lord Jesus, uh, shed his blood for the remission of our sins and rose again that we too might rise to new life. That we might have a new opportunity. That we might have a new beginning. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. God's intent was not to condemn us. To uh, 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 cast us away as worthless and useless and hopeless and without uh, opportunity. But he came to, to, to save us that we through him might be saved. And so the gift of life, the gift of a new opportunity. Romans speaks of that uh, a bit. We uh, uh, Romans chapter five. We talked about Romans five verse twelve, where it speaks of of uh, death passed upon all men, but the scripture doesn't end there. In verse 15 of Romans 5, it says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded to many. And uh, so we have these two kind of individuals kind of put up against each other. You have uh, by the offense of one... Uh, by the disobedience of one, by the disobedience of Adam and, and Eve there in the gardens, uh, death passed upon all men. And by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, the opportunity of life is opened up to all men, uh, whosoever will. Uh, by the obedience of Christ, uh, as it says here, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Christ uh, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And verse 16, Not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was of one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So the, the, uh, the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses to justifi- unto justification. Aren't you glad it says many offenses? 
You know, you can't list too many offenses for our Lord to be able to, uh, that he has shed his blood for. The list cannot be too long uh, for many offenses unto justification. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. You know, that bite of sin has had the power, has been in control. It reigned, it, it had its predominance in the human experience. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And basically that is, uh, I think the wording probably doesn't communicate it quite clearly there, but basically it's the idea that, you know, death reigned because of sin, but Christ has, uh, uh, in Christ, life reigns. Life becomes the uh, predominant uh, uh, power, influence, whatever. Therefore, the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Praise God. The free gift came upon all men. Whosoever will, whosoever believes. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, many were bitten by this uh, 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 sin, the snake bite. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Those who believe who can be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin did reign, does reign in the hearts of many, but it doesn't have to reign in our hearts any longer. It doesn't have to be the predominant controlling factor any longer. There's a new way uh, made available to us. And uh, by the death, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are given the opportunity to life. And uh, having that grace of God reigning through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Praise God. So I'd like to wrap it up with John thirteen fourteen, John three fourteen and 15 again. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And John the Baptist said this just a little bit later in John 3, verse 36. He said that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. So, look and live. Kind of come back to our title. Look and live. Uh, there's, is there a song that says something like this? There's life for a look at the Savior. Uh, it's the only place there's life. It's the only place you'll find life. In the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're able, let's kneel together and we'll close with prayer. (laughs) Father, again, thank you. Thank you for this day, this Lord's Day morning, and uh, this uh, season of reflection on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Father, again today... May, our, may the Spirit give us understanding as we have reflected on the account of Scripture and the events that took place many years ago. Father, we pray that, uh, and thank you, thank you first of all, Lord, that these, uh, uh, these events were clearly recorded and retained in Scripture and made available to the generations. Pray that that could continue, that the Word of God would be preserved in that uh, People could have an understanding of the Christ, an understanding of his salvation that he 
uh, brought to, uh, in place there at Calvary. And Father, I pray that as we have uh, reflected upon it, that our lives could be blessed, that we could be strengthened in our faith, deepened in our faith, uh, and continue in faith, Lord. Father, thank you for each one assembled here. Ask your blessing on each one and also on those who perhaps had a desire to be here and were not able. Ask a blessing on them. And Father, again, keep us in your care. Thank you for uh, freedom to gather in this country in this way and ask that that blessing could continue. Thank you for safety this morning in our service, Lord. And again, we ask a blessing on those who uh, in Sri Lanka who suffered great... Uh, trauma be with them and again father go with us as we endeavor to walk with you in faith and in hope we love you in jesus name amen